Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure. Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. If you're planning a meeting, conference, or special event in Missoula, consider the Wingate by Wyndham. Our event space is comfortable and flexible. Whether you need an intimate boardroom meeting or a conference war 100, Missoula's Wingate is the perfect fit. Our audio-visual equipment, upgraded internet, and flexible food and beverage policies allow you to put on an impressive show without breaking the bank. Call us at Missoula's Wingate, where we make you feel at home when you're not. We go down to the Regis Brothers RV phone line. We welcome in... Our good friend Mike Dugar covers the Seattle Seahawks for The Athletic. And Mike, the Seattle Seahawks season came to a close in Lambeau Field. They could not break the streak at Lambeau. Haven't won there since the 90s, 0-9 now uh, in the 2000s. And they got behind early 21-3, rallied in the second half because that's what the Seahawks do, but ultimately couldn't come all the way back against the Green Bay Packers. Mike, do we have you? Oh, yeah, I'm oh, here. I'm sorry, here. sorry. sorry. <laughs> Did you get my question? Because as usual, I was screaming and it was a long bloviating thing. <laughs> you probably fell asleep during the course of it is probably what happened. You're like, just shut up already. No, no, no. I, I got plenty of sleep since I got back from Green Bay. I hey. didn't sleep when I was there. Yeah. That's, that's what it was. <laughs> okay. Okay. But, I mean, I'm just wondering. I mean, the the, the, the Seahawks, they go down 21-3 at the halftime. They come, you know, back almost all the way but just couldn't quite get it done. Just the, the game sort of on the whole. What was the key to it for you and why Seattle really couldn't get it done? Well, the key to the second half, um, I think, well, why they lost and didn't complete the comeback was just, ultimately a lack of talent across the board and not enough like uh, and too many mismatches and a team that just had to play perfect and doesn't have the talent to do so whether it's Malik Turner dropping that pass Jake Hollister missing the block that leads to the sack on the same drive forcing them to punt whether it's Google Amadi getting beat by Devontae Adams on third and long Delano Hill getting beat by Jimmy Graham on on third and long you know it was just things like that in the second half at least you look at the game in totality which includes them getting down 21 to three. I think a lot of people ignore that part because they came so close and then we're nitpicking like little plays at the end. We should start with why they were down 21 to three, because that is why they lost the game, you know, because to ask any team to play perfect, you know, in the playoffs, 
when they're down that big at home, maybe it's different if you're on the road and you're the Chiefs and you have a cheat code uh, on offense. <laughs> uh, but the, the Hawks are different. You know, they, they can't play perfect like that against good teams like that on the road. So uh, I think when I looked at the whole game, I'm like, wow, the Seahawks really need some talent upgrades because they did not look like a team with more talent than the opponent. We know about the injuries of the backfield to Seattle. Chris Carson out, Rashad Penny out. We know about the injury to, to Will Disley, obviously, and, and Ed Dixon, for that matter, at tight end. Where else, though, I mean, obviously losing starting players to season what amounts to season-ending injuries kills you, but where else can Seattle improve talent-wise? Where were they lacking uh, when you compare them to a, a team like Green Bay? Uh, up front, uh, on both sides. Mostly in the pass blocking with the line. Their pass blocking was not great. Bottom third, uh, once again. And remember, this was like in like July, August, whenever that was. You know, Dwayne Brown told us they could you know, had the potential to be the best unit. And, uh, you know, Jermaine Effetti like agreed, which of course he was going to agree. But, no, they didn't even come close. Like They were a decent run blocking team for sure. Definitely, definitely could, you know, open some holes for Chris Carson. But uh, they were not a good pass blocking unit. And that you could see the difference between a good pass blocking unit and a bad one in that game. You know, it was hard to get to Aaron Rodgers. It was really hard. You couldn't basically couldn't do it without blitzing. Uh, and they had a lot of games like that where, unless they were sending extra guys, they couldn't uh, they couldn't get a pass rush. And then the problem was when they sent extra guys, that means everyone else was in man coverage on the back end, and they didn't have the coverage talent uh, to make up for that. You know, they and, and even in a game like this, you know, because they had talent to win regular season games, clearly. Uh, but they didn't have the talent at the elite level. And that shows in the playoffs. The Packers are just like, we have a couple players you can't guard. Yeah, no one knows who Alan Lazard is outside of Wisconsin, but every, it doesn't matter because you guys can't stop Jimmy, you can't stop Devontae Adams, uh, and you may or may not be able to stop Aaron Jones. I actually think they did a good job on him. So, I mean, defensively, they didn't have a pass rush. They didn't have guys who could, who could cover very well across the board, and it, it was just evident. I mean, you could point to some of the coaching and things like that and Pete's mismanagement. But ultimately, I think what we really saw this year was a team that just like couldn't hold a candle to the uh, the Legion of Boom team. You know, I, I, I thought my impression is, is spot on with what you said is that this team is actually overachieved given the talent that they have or maybe don't have on this team across the board. But also, in a game like this, it seems to me, and Seattle does this all the time, they have such true fundamental belief that they're going to find a way to win the football game particularly with Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson you know at the helm doing it and have done it before that sometimes it feels like while they quote unquote don't panic if they get down they're also sort of okay being behind and that ultimately came back to bite them do you sense that at all with this team I don't I don't want to go as far as say they're okay with being behind they're just not uncomfortable with it um, which is a slight a slight difference, yep. and, and this is what I've taken away from the whole season, is that you know every every time they lose, it's like oh this will take this as a learning lesson, yada yada yada, which is fine. Losses can be lessons, and they should be, but it's only valuable if you learn the right lesson. And I think what Pete Carroll and Russell and some of the other leaders on the team take away from a game like Sunday or a game like maybe the Niners game in Week 17. Um, is that, oh, we, we fought back. We were very resilient. And I think the lesson needs to be, why were we down? Yeah. Why do we keep falling down and have to rally and have to be perfect and have to rely on Russell Wilson heroics? You know, I feel like that's the lesson that should be atop the list. Like, yeah, resiliency is 
beautiful. It's a beautiful trait to have. Not needing to be resilient is even better. So, I, but I don't think that's the the lesson that they've taken away. Uh, so I, I don't know what that means for the team going forward. But I feel like once that happens and you address why you were down, uh, you're down to the Niners and have to come back. Why you were down to the Ravens or the Saints or uh, to the Cardinals to the Rams. Why you're in those holes? Address that part. Then you won't need, you know. To, to rally, I guess, all the time. So I don't know if that's what they've, what they've done yet. I doubt it, just on what they were saying on Sunday night and what they've said all year. But for me, when I sit there and think about the offseason, I think the team needs to take a good hard look in the mirror and figure out that part and just not just be okay with, eh, maybe we were down. But we got Russell Wilson, so we'll figure it out. I, I, I just You're playing with fire at that point. Trends like that in, in sports, especially pro football, are so fascinating to analyze. And Ryan and I talked about this yesterday pretty extensively on the show, actually. And I was just mentioning the fact that if you look at the Pete Carroll era, which is basically the Russell Wilson era as well as minus a couple years, these guys, they've always been at least solid. You know, they, They've been a 500 or better team always, but they never seem to be that team that's any more than an 11 or 12 win team. They're, they've never been a 13 or 14 win team. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't believe under Pete Carroll. And I just wonder, it seems to me like they have this great formula, this great culture to always be in every game, to always be in no matter who they're playing against. They play up to the competition, they play down to the competition. But it, within the scope of the each season too, though, it also seems to me like they don't have they're never going to bottom this thing out they're never going to do a, a pull of rams where they go to the super bowl and then revert back or, or like the bears where they're so great and then they just are not good anymore just because they go all in on this one year what do you think of just this team what do they need to do to kick down that ceiling and become that you know 12 13 14 win team maybe maybe play this game in seattle at home instead of on the road in green bay just take the next step as a franchise uh the, the super bowl team did go 13 and 3 um they were they were really good, right? Uh, right. The Legion of Boom team. Yeah, you're right. You're they right. were home for the yeah. NFC. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, the next year, I think they went twelve and four and hosted the NFC title game. But uh, I, I think it really comes down to at least I'm going to focus on this off season because that's what most people are want to know about and don't want to dwell too much in the past. I think the the offensive side of the ball needs to take a look at who they are and who they are not. Well, both sides, but. I think here's here's what I mean by that. The offense needs to understand, look, we are a team that has one of the most dynamic players in football, and it is okay if we build an offense based around what he is good at. And I don't think that was the case in 2012, 13, 14, uh, maybe even 15. It was like, okay, we got a, got a young guy, we have a really good defense, and we have the best running back in the league, but arguably either him or Adrian Peterson. So we can just do that. But recognize now that you're not that team anymore, and that you can. It's okay to, to you know invest in the passing offense a bit more than the rushing offense. Doesn't mean ignore either one. Balance is key. But you can have a team that like okay, we can we can start off hot, throwing the rock around, letting Russell play some backyard football. Because if we do that, we're probably up in the fourth quarter, and we don't need to give the rest of our uh, fans high blood pressure. You know, with these comebacks. And I think the defense needs to do the same thing. Say, who are we? More importantly, who are we not? We are not Legion of Boom. We do not have Mike Bennett. We do not have Cliff Abel. We do not have Cam Earl Sherm. But what do we have and how can we adjust to that? And what does life without those guys look like? Because I still think they're trying to do a lot of the same things 
some of it's different with the blitzes and they double team more receivers now because they don't have a lockdown number one. But I mean, ultimately it's the same scheme and the same ideas. And maybe you need new ideas when you have new players who aren't as talented as the past one. Uh, so I think once that happens, you can hit the ceiling because once that happens, you're maximizing the talent that you, that you ultimately have on your own roster versus maximizing the scheme that you won with, you know, in the past, you got to adjust to who's on your team. It's not just all scheme, scheme, scheme. I think that's what Doug Peterson at the Eagles is really good at. And I think, uh, Andy Reid is really good at that as well. Bill, Bill Belichick's obviously the best. It's just like, all right, here's what we have. What do these guys all do best? Boom, let's go. And I don't think that's been the, been the case lately. Mike Dugar joining us. He covers the Seattle Seahawks for The Athletic. You can find him on Twitter, at Mike Dugar. I hear you, Mike, when, when you're saying, rather than trust that Russell Wilson will bring you back, give him the tools to just attack you and, and put you ahead. I totally agree with what you're saying. You mentioned some of the, the philosophies that they've had. I know that Schottheimer's been under some scrutiny, and he's always been a run-first guy. So where do you think that status lies as we move forward here, any chance for a change there? Or what does Seattle need to do schematically moving forward to to put Russell Wilson in those positions, uh, assuming that they do add the proper personnel? See, it doesn't start with a change with the OC, I think. Because both the OC and the DC are just running versions of whatever Pete Carroll desires. You know, right. there's, there's a reason he didn't, when he had an open OC spot, he went with a run-first guy. Not because that's what Shadi was really good at. That's because that's what Pete wanted. Mm-hmm. If he wanted, he could have hired like Cliff Kingsbury or one of Sean McVay's cousins, like he could have done whatever he wanted <laughs> if, if that's what he wanted, but that's not, that wasn't his objective, you know, and it starts with really all, all I'm saying is the things that ultimately will not happen. I don't think because look at how Pete, look at what he believes in. Look at one of his uh, most famous kind of ideologies. You can't win the game in the first quarter, mm-hmm. right? Uh, which is great. It's a great rallying cry. Sounds super good when it works. However, you can, definitely lose the game by getting smoked <laughs> in the first yeah. and having to rally back. And even, I think, uh, Monday in his press conference, he said something to the effect of, yeah, no, it's not how you start the game, you know, it's how you finish it out. And it's just like, th- there is something to that, but there, it seems like he's almost ignoring the start of the game or de-emphasizing the importance of it. Uh, and that's one of those things because he, I mean, what's Pete, like 68? I mean, you don't change when you get that old, right? You, especially when you've had some success. So I think this, this sounds crazy, but yeah, the, the problem is Pete's thinking. Pete's thinking there on offense and defense is just so one way. Yeah, he'll tweak some things, make some adjustments or whatever, but the ideologies that he already has and believes in and has won with, both in the college level and at the pro level, he's going to have to come up off of some of those, use some of the evidence that the, the analytic boom has allowed him to have access to and say, oh man, maybe we, maybe it doesn't really matter how we come out in the first quarter, but maybe it'd be better if we did come out great. You know, maybe we do have some chances to put ourselves in. Maybe you can't win the game in the first quarter, but maybe you could put yourself in a better position uh, to win the game in the fourth quarter if you do play well in the first quarter. And I mean, he's going to just have to do like little ideological shifts like that to change this team. Otherwise, it's going to be a team that comes out flat, rallies says they're resilient, Rosh wins for Pete, and then everyone's just pissed. Mike, I I want to address, like, going forward now for this team and what this offseason looks like and what they need to do to get better. There, there's two ways, as far as I can tell, to get better as an NFL team. You can get new players, 
you know, through the draft or through free agency, and that's the thing that everybody seems to focus on. But also, the other way is you could coach up the guys you got so that they improve. I mean, everybody talks about, you know, Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor. It's not like they found those guys who were that good the day they drafted them. That's why they were taken in the fifth round. They brought those guys in, found their strengths, coached them up, and put them in a position to be successful. With a guy like Bradley McDougal or Trey Flowers and some of the guys that they have in that secondary, you bring in Quandre Diggs as a free agency, who I thought played really well for this team when he was, uh, you know, available uh, to, to, to play. And so when you sit here and you look at this group, is there a chance that they are better just in virtue of being a young, hungry group that this team can mold? And then, of course, you're going to add draft picks, you know, in the offseason as well. Well, I think that the Seahawks are a little arrogant and they're thinking that they could recreate a defense with that level of success as a Legion of Boom. I think, because that's what happens when you draft, you know, Hall of Famers in the fifth round, Pro Bowlers in the fifth round, like Sherman Cam. Yeah, okay. So we have the eye. We have the eye for talent. Um, but th- I think part of it is the league has caught up the Seahawks, and I think there was actually no better example of them being like the blueprint for the teams than the Denver Broncos. Denver Broncos invested all that in the offense, and they had the best offense in the world in 2013. They got their doors blown off. And they went and grabbed defensive players. I think they went and got Aqib Tlaib. Uh, I think they got DeMarcus Ware that offseason, too. And then, like, two years later, they were they were they they won the Super Bowl, right? With Peyton Manning had a noodle arm, but their defense was, like, all-time great. And, and it was able to, like, uh, fix everything else. Uh, so I think that's, that's part of the problem. The other problem is... The make the mental makeup of the guys in the Legion of Boom is very unique, and I think we're kind of seeing it. Uh, people now, Seahawks fans are able to take a step back and look at it, especially with someone like Sherm, who like Sherm manufactured motivation and channeled it into his play, perhaps as good as any competitor we've ever seen in any sport. Right? He will for, for real fabricate some type of slight or over exaggerate a slight, uh, just like he's he doing now, right? To play great. Yeah, you know, like that rant he went on in the last game. It's like, dude, no one thinks you're just a cover. You're just his own corner, bro. Like, you're the matter. Like, people think you're really great, but but he has to. He can't think that way. You don't when you, you don't think that way. And up being a fifth round pick that becomes a Hall of Fame player, you just don't. You, you, you know what I'm saying? You can't be wired that way and then start start smelling yourself once you get. You know, you have to be slighted at all times. Like the chip on your shoulder thing is real. Cam Chancellor the same way, you know, like he needed, he needed to be a guy who was told he wasn't like, I forget, I think he was too big to play safety or something like that, whatever it was coming out of the draft. Uh, also, he wanted to be a quarterback coming out of high school. Like he needed to be told that to fuel, you know, who he was. And there were some other guys like that too, Michael Bennett uh, being undrafted. Um, I don't, there was just some other guys who were just so slighted and used that mental make, Doug Baldwin. Uh, as well, like they were built a certain way mentally, where that you can't replicate that. Even if you have someone that's talented, Tyler Lockett might be more talented than Doug Baldwin. Probably is actually, but he's not made up the same way. This is a guy whose dad was in the NFL, whose uncle was in the NFL, um, and was a second round pick, and broke a bunch of records at K State. Was basically out of K State scholarship the minute he was born because of his uncle and dad being. You know what I mean? It's just it's, you can't just pick guys and expect them to replicate that part because you're. The way you are mentally influences, you know, how you play more than any physical trait. So I think that's the biggest issue they've had lately kind of rebuilding 
the defense. And I don't really have a good answer for fixing that. Like, you can't just give all the prospects psyche valves. Maybe you can, actually. Uh, maybe they should do that. But to find those special players, is, is it's not going to be easy, you know. But if they find one, I think if they find one all-pro guy in the next draft, they'll be fine. I really do think it's, it's as simple as that. Because right now they have one all-pro guy on defense when they used to have, like, three. But if they pair Bobby and Clowney with a, with another talent like this, I don't even care what position that. Then I think this team can take that next step. Coulter, you have a business, and your business is based in the World Wide Web. Indeed I do. So I'm on my computer all the time. And if you're not online, you're not making money, and it is important to make sure that you're online and secure. Am I right? Absolutely. Got to be cyber safe this day and age. Well, for you business owners out there, whether you have an online business or a brick-and-mortar business, it's still running through the web. We all know that's a fact. And in today's always-on world, your business demands a simpler approach to network security. At Blackfoot Communications, they deliver state-of-the-art security solutions from the perimeter to the endpoint devices and remote data backup for businesses across the state of Montana. They do. They're keeping everybody cyber-secure and ensuring that businesses run the way that they need to across the state. So ensure your company's network is online all the time. For more information, visit goblackfoot.com slash business. That's goblackfoot.com slash business. And you can click the link right here in the old podcast. We've made it so very easy for you. Go visit and find out how to keep your business or the business of people you know secure online with Blackfoot. Mike Dugard joining us. He covers the Seattle Seahawks for the Athletic. He's joined us all season long, doing 12 for the 12, so we certainly appreciate it. Question, last question for you. You talked about trying to diversify on offense, and it seems like they might have found might have found an all-pro uh, in the next couple of years in DK Metcalf as a wide receiver. And what he has been as a rookie has been, uh, well, fantastic. And when you paired him and Lockett with that running game, they were really good offensively at times, even though they really struggled up front on the offensive line, especially because of injury at times, but where are you at with the prospects of that offense, especially with a, a really young and potentially, uh, you know, all pro type of wide receiver? You know, I think that we we took for not took for granted. We overlooked and kind of turned it into like a meme or a joke. The way the Seahawks mismanaged Percy Harvin's talent and Jimmy Graham's talent when they were here. Uh, and like with Jimmy, the last thing I would ask Jimmy Graham to do is block, right? Like I would never just just harped on the fact that he was a good blocker or a bad blocker, right? I would have maximized what he was good at and took that skill set. Like, oh man, I got Doug Bowman, I got Jimmy Graham, man, I got Russell Wilson who can sling it. Like, oh, maybe I should build an offense around yeah. that. And I I don't necessarily have the faith in them to do that. I think the offense is built around what like Chris Carson can do and what Pete believes. Uh, is is best in terms of running the ball. And until that changes, I just think there's just this ceiling on Tyler and DK, both as prospects. Like, I don't think DK is going to go from, like, what do you have, 900 yards, maybe 1,000 with the, with the playoffs, to, like, he, he keeps going up. Because I just think that um, the way they think offensively, philosophically, has a ceiling that won't change without, like, a huge shift in what they believe. Like, there's nothing to nothing to tell me. I mean this sincerely. There's nothing to tell me that DK Metcalf in the right system cannot have a year like Julio Jones had in 2016. I think he had, like, 1,600 yards, something like that. I swear to you, I do not think there's anything that prevents him from doing that. I also mean this. I do not think there's anything that will prevent 
Tyler Lockett in the right system from having a season like Michael Thomas just had, where he has like what do you have like seventeen hundred yards? I do not. I really think that if you threw them on the Chiefs or the or the Rams or the Saints, that those guys have the talent to do that. They just don't have the guys who have the offensive minds to put them there. So I mean, I don't know if I'm like been subtly suggesting the fire of the one the last ten minutes, but it feels like there needs to either be some huge philosophical changes or an overhaul in just like the staffing because I think the the talent is there on offense at least on the offense it's just being capped by the beliefs of the people in charge Mike We've always appreciated talking to you. you got great perspective. You do a great job. We appreciate that. Mike Dugar, at Mike Dugar. Read his stuff at The Athletic. You can also listen to him on the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. And, Mike, it's been a fun season to be with you. We appreciate it. And we will catch up on down the line, maybe in this offseason a little bit. All right? Oh, yeah. Got my number. Call me when you need me. Thank you guys for having me all season. I appreciate it. You got it. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate you. Mike Dugar covers the Seahawks for The Athletic. I mean, I didn't realize that they were, you know, four and 12 and missed the playoffs the last nine years. I mean, that's what that felt like for me. You know, this is interesting though. I mean, you're talking about a fan base and an organization that has won, has won a Super Bowl, been to two, but has been perennially a good to quite good team relative to the NFL. And when you make it to the divisional rounds of the playoffs, you're a very good football team. Like that's, that is it. Also, if you don't, like, if you clearly aren't as good as the other, like the Minnesota Vikings, for instance, they're just not as good as San Francisco. I mean, it ain't close. Right. The Seattle Seahawks, though the game was close, the dearth and the, the, the separation in total talent across the board, not done one guy here or there, from the Green Bay Packers to the Seattle Seahawks was clear. It was. It was just clear. It was. And, and that is the thing where... You, you know, at what point do you really need to rethink everything that you're doing? And again, if for Pete Carroll, the oldest coach in the NFL, can he? Right? That's a really good point. Like he has, he has won a Super Bowl doing this. He has won a national championship doing this. Why? Why all of a sudden now should he not? Now the shifting waters of what your personnel are should always be telling. But nonetheless, you know, it's a reason that. A guy named Schottenheimer is the OC. I mean, this is you know, there's a there's a lot of people who did a lot of head scratching when Daryl Bevel and 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 Brian Schottenheimer became the offensive coordinators. But again, the point is, it, it there's it's not because well they couldn't find anybody else to take the job. They wanted these dudes who do these things, who believe these things about football, that you got to run the ball. And I don't know that I disagree with them, but also, yeah, if you if your best play, if your three best offensive players are a quarterback who throws it and two guys who catch it, then you got to do that. You know, you got to. So I, I I don't know. The spots where so many so many NFL franchises are looking for the places where Seattle's got dudes. Seattle needs to get dudes at the non sexy positions. I. Think about if you just gave Seattle Brian Balaga and David Bakhtiari. I know one of those two guys. Which one was out on on Sunday? Was it Balaga? Balaga didn't start because of the flu. Of the flu. Yeah, yeah. Right, played played a little bit. Um, but if you just gave them those two guys and Kenny Clark, <laughs> those three guys are the difference makers. Right. I, but I mean, I'm just saying those guys are people that really follow the NFL knows those guys. But they're not DK Metcalf, who everybody knows. For sure. They're not Russell Wilson, who everybody knows. Yeah, they're 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 you know they would be wrecking people right if they had those guys from the Packers and you move them over to the Seahawks. Yeah, I mean that. 
It would. It would shift the power. Totally. And so... I want to let's take a quick break though because okay. I want to talk more about this. I know we got some high school I, 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 I stuff to talk, get to. I want to talk to the other thing I want to talk about is the fact is that because it's a salary cap league, so many teams go on roller coasters and they have these two or three year windows. But I honestly think that the way it rises raises your expectations as a franchise and for a fan base when you're consistently good, it puts you in a very unique spot in the NFL. There's only a couple teams that are like the Seahawks. Like you said, it, talking to Dugar, coming off of this last year, it was almost like this was a, a, a not a great team. When in fact they were an eleven win team that that made it to the, they won a playoff game. So mm-hmm. the, you, there's, I, I just think it's interesting though because there's only a few franchises that have really gotten to that point. And I think it's what right. makes Seattle unique because I do think it's a huge benefit in some ways, but I also think it's a it's sort of a detriment because you don't have then the freedom to break it all down. So we'll talk more about yeah. that on the other side as well. You know, guests, the Wingate by Wyndham is the Missoula Hotel that truly offers something for everybody. No doubt. It's conveniently located near the airport, easy for when your friends come to visit you. And you know, of course, my favorite, water slides. That's right. they got an awesome water park with a sweet water slide that's perfect for families, groups, and birthday parties. With the Wingate, they also have a terrific business travel rate, large meeting spaces for you and your clients, and one of the best rewards programs you'll find anywhere. Talk to me about breakfast. They're not messing around with the Continental. They got the full breakfast spread, man. That's what I'm talking about. I need that. They got you covered there as well. Just down the road from the Missoula Airport, the location is quiet and convenient. The parking is ample and free, and the staff genuinely cares about taking care of their guests. The Wingate is at 5252 Airway Boulevard. You can also call. Very simple, easily memorizable number, 541-8000. That's 541-8000. The best hotel at the best spot for a hotel near the airport. Let the Wingate by Wyndham in Missoula make you feel at home, even when you're not. A couple things just to just to finish up on the Seattle Seahawks, as they had, you know, again a good year. Two things. Your point is very well made that, on the one hand, to be disappointed about being 11 and five and going to the divisional round of the playoffs and that being the end, is is a a great sign of the health of your franchise, of the expectations of your franchise and what you are. I mean, Lord knows there'd be a ticker tape parade in Cleveland if the Browns managed to pull that same feet off. So I get that, uh, you know, as far as what you say. The, uh, the downside of that is, though, too, it's like, hey, if you have a really good season and now all of a sudden everybody's down on you, then, then that's the bad side of that? Is that kind of what you're getting at? Oh, I think that... It's amazing, the NFL draft, how much hype there is around it, how aware we are of so many players that are coming into the NFL draft, the perceived impact, and then real impact so many guys can have. And I think that with the exception of a few more bun franchises, the Cleveland Browns, the first ones that come to mind, you can actually sell losing and tanking to your fan base as long as there's a promise that it won't last forever. And... I mean, what's the stat? Hasn't every team in the NFL made the playoffs this in the last twenty years? I mean, it, they, uh, yeah, I think so. The Cleveland Browns are the, the only because it was it was the Bills after the Browns made right, it, right? And, and, so. the, and the Cleveland Browns are the only team this decade who didn't have an above five hundred record one time, right? Okay. I think the last time they did was they made the playoffs this century. I don't. I think they were the only squad in the NFL that didn't have an above five hundred record over the last ten years. One okay. one season where they just went eight and eight or better. And so it shows you that it does ebb and flow. But I think that if you, when you have a great 
quarterback, for example, that retires, and then your team bottoms out a little bit, but then you have the f- promise of the future. Like, look what the Arizona Cardinals are doing right now. Like, the Arizona Cardinals won five or six games this year. But I think there's a lot of optimism in Arizona because you can see the talent that is Kyler Murray, and you can see some of the pieces that they picked up, and you can see you know, the resurgence of Kenyon Drake and some of the other guys that they got on the squad. But I think that when you establish the level of expectation, the level of excellence like Seattle has, it's just way harder to ever go through that rebuild if and when you come to it. Seattle is lucky because they got the dude to build it around, and he's not going anywhere. But it will be a very fascinating bridge to cross because when Russell Wilson is gone, because they have never had to do it. And you just wonder, oftentimes it takes risks in the league to take that next step. And I just don't know if you're Seattle, because you've established this baseline level of expectation, if you ever can afford to dip down and have the 5-11 and season in hopes of trading it for a 14-2 and year. Yeah, I mean, whether you need to do that or not, I guess is still an open question. I don't think you necessarily have to. I mean, you Patriots certainly have proven that it's possible not to. Uh, the thing for me, though, and this is where I actually disagree with Mike Dugar on what he said, particularly on the defense side of the ball. I mean, he's right about you don't just find guys that have Richard Sherman's mentality to go with his great skill set. But also, his great skill set was developed. It was developed hugely in the NFL and done with the Seattle Seahawks. Now, the the concoction, the cocktail that became the Legion of Bloom, that's a perfect storm. Yes, you're not going to recreate what they had there and the way they had it. But they did have one lockdown from day one Hall of Fame player in Earl Thomas. Okay, They have that. It's just he's not a safety. He's Bobby Wagner now. Okay, But... You can still, with with the guys that you bring in, whether, again, it's Trey Flowers, Bradley McDougal, who knows where the Griffins end up, Shaq in particular, in terms of their development as players, and I think that's something that's grossly overlooked by most fans, is how much better guys can get in the league. They just assume, okay, yeah, maybe maybe the quarterbacks, you know, from their rookie year to their third year, you see the progress, or you don't, and that's what signifies whether this guy's any good or not. But the reality is, is that all of these players can get far, far better when this is now their job, by the way, they're not even sure. in school doing this anymore. And so, and, and and what teams are able to develop that talent and also identify the strengths. I mean, you, you just take it as a foregone conclusion. You don't. You say this to me all the time, but like the, the, the idea that like all these guys are professional coaches and so they're all roughly equal at what they're doing is just a fallacy. There's some guys that are way better coaches in the NFL than other guys doing the same job at Absolutely. other teams. And Seattle has, I think, in, in this in this iteration of the, the, the John Schneider, Pete Carroll era, done an outstanding job of player development. Now, do you have, got, do you have the guy that's going to have the same maniacal chip on his shoulder that Richard Sherman has had? No. Maybe you don't. No. But you might have a guy who has the same, you know, drive of some sort, right. the same thing. It, you know, it doesn't have to have the same container. You know what I mean? But if you can build that thing up, you can pair that skill set with a guy who could do it all like Bobby Wagner can for the next couple of years. Or, you know, a first-round draft pick that you bring in and you know this guy is going to be the dude. Or a guy that you trade for like Quandre Diggs. Like, those are the things that you can do to 
jump off. And when Pete Carroll said this team feels like it felt at the end of Russell's rookie year, like we mm-hmm. were right at the start of something, mm-hmm. I buy that. Mm-hmm. I buy that. Mm-hmm. Now they have to get better because they are they're okay when they're healthy, but they're old on the offensive line. That's a huge area of concern but in the rest of this team it's young and it has the potential to be much better even with the guys that are on it right now they don't have to go find a bunch of dudes to bring in there's no doubt that they are great at player development there's no doubt they're great at scouting and drafting there's no doubt that they have their their guy as a franchise quarterback in the face of their franchise in russell wilson so those three things give them a definitive advantage over almost everybody else in the league but the thing that the NFL doesn't want the fans to to hear or talk about or know is that the fact of the matter is a lot of times to take the next step, you got to take risks on guys, and you have to take guys that might be ticking time bombs. Mm-hmm. And with the culture that Seattle's created, they've by and large shipped those guys off. I mean, Frank Clark sniffed trouble. He was out, and, he, and all of a sudden he's in Kansas City. And like it, hate it, whatever, you're – they did bring in Josh Gordon. That's a good point by David. It didn't last long, but the a lot of times you have to take those risks. Yeah. And 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 or can they? Are they willing to? The, the thing, I guess the thing is with what they've established and with the way that they've, they're structured, it's a good thing to be the Seattle Seahawks. But you're limited in some of the gambling moves you can make. Whether it's personnel, whether it's making a personnel move by cutting a veteran and really going all in on a rookie and letting them develop. It, 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 they, they're handcuffed a little bit more than some other NFL franchises. But, like I'm saying, it's a good thing because they are one of the few teams that has the NFC Championship game or bust every year as their baseline expectation. Do you tell Nuanas, 102.9 ESPN Radio. Take a quick break on the other side. High school stuff. we got to get into some high school hoops that are going on right now. By the way, Hellgate? The boys, they're off to their best start since the 2014-2015 season. We'll tell you about it right after this. By the way, breaking news. Alex Cora, no longer the manager of the Boston Red Sox. Man. The fallout continues, man. A.J. Hinch and now Alex Cora all tied to the same thing. Cora was a bench coach for the Houston Astros in 2017 and the whole whole scandal. We haven't gotten into this on this show. We're not going to today. But it's worth knowing that Alex Cora, uh, well... A guy who won a World Series a year ago is no longer the manager of his team as a result of all this. So I'm sure you'll hear plenty more about this in the coming days. High School Sports next. Coulter, you have a business, and your business is based in the World Wide Web. Indeed I do. So I'm on my computer all the time. And if you're not online, you're not making money, and it is important to make sure that you're online and secure. Am I right? Absolutely. Got to be cyber safe this day and age. Well, for you business owners out there, whether you have an online business or a brick and mortar business, it's still running through the web. We all know that's a fact. And in today's always on world, your business demands a simpler approach to network security. At Blackfoot Communications, they deliver state-of-the-art security solutions from the perimeter to the endpoint devices and remote data backup for businesses across the state of Montana. They do. They're keeping everybody cyber secure and ensuring that businesses run the way that they need to across the state. So ensure your company's network is online all the time. For more information, visit goblackfoot.com business. That's goblackfoot.com business. And you can click the link right here in the old podcast. We've made it so very easy for you. Go visit and find out how to keep your business or the business of people you know secure 
online with Blackfoot. The Seattle Seahawks, if they LJ Collier was their number one overall pick, he barely saw the field this year. And I don't know if he's a bust or what happened or what they did with him out of TCU, but they bring in Jadavion Clowney, Ziggy Yasa. If LJ Collier developed into the guy that they wanted him to be, and right early returns are not good, but I mean, you're talking about a defensive front of of number one overall, number four or five overall? Five overall, I think, for Ziggy Yonsei. And yeah. then I think, you know, middle of the first round, mm-hmm. three of your four defensive linemen, and mm-hmm. LJ Collier, an interior defensive line. I mean, look, I mean, it's all about will they will they show up, but I mean, that that is that is significant. It is. Right the there. thing that's crazy is that's what it takes in yes. the NFC. Yes. That, I mean, the, the, the 49ers... The 49ers have, what, five first-round picks on nah, their defensive it, line? It, it, Solomon Thomas doesn't even start. He was a right, top-ten pick. Right. And, I mean, and, I look and what the, do they have to endure, like a 2-14 and 14 I mean, season? Look, at, right? look yeah. at the Vikings. I know that Linval Joseph and Danell Hunter are both not first-round picks, but they are, they're all pro guys. Yeah. I mean, Daniel Hunter was a, a third-round pick who is absolutely a first-round talent. He just happened sure. to be new to the game, but the guys are freak. And, right. But but that's what it takes in the league, though. That's what's crazy. If you want to be playing in the final eight, the final four, you got to have four either first-round draft pick caliber talents or all-pro, pro-bowl-level right. guys. That's right. They do have that, and it'll be so interesting to see in April who, what direction they decide to go. I mean, that's where the Packers have made the biggest progress, you right? Know? Oh, easily. Easily. I mean, their, their, their pass rush was crazy by the way russell wilson hats off to you i mean you can move faster when your life depends on it but my goodness he was absolutely <laughs> no a magician even in the loss all right hey it's time for a prep extra segment it's brought to us by the farmers state bank all the bank you'll ever need under one roof checking savings investing investments mortgage loans personal loans mobile banking options and internet banking all from farmers state bank farmers ebank.com coulter boys basketball off and running missoula hellgate beat Helena Capital, Missoula Hellgate right now, the number one team in the state. Helena Capital, number three, 77-52, very, very strong. They are now 6-0, and the Knights are, on this young season. It's their best start since opening the season, 8-0 and in the 2014-15 season. They got two college commits on the team. A lot of people know about Raleigh Wooster, of course, going to Utah State when he decommitted from Montana, going out to Utah State to play basketball. He had 20 points in the game, by the way, 8-13. But also, Abe Johnson, who was the other outstanding junior a year ago, senior this year tall i don't know how tall he is but i mean he's six eight six nine type of kid uh he's going to army he's to play six, basketball eight, yeah. six eight okay so yeah, he had 21 points actually led the scoring for the knights in this game and uh, nine of 13 shooting i'll tell you what for hellgate for as good as they've been the last several years the heartbreak of what's happened at the state tournament but this is you know again this is an outstanding team and the senior year for raleigh wooster so you know again this is the team to beat in the state right absolutely and and you see this in in Montana high school sports quite a bit too, where like a group of kids will come together and, and they'll they'll be identified by their coaches early on as a, yeah. a group that can really do well. And there's a, I mean, this Hellgate team has seven seniors on the squad, and Cam Lawrence is the one who's the kind of the newcomer to the group. I'm actually not sure if he played club ball with these guys or not, but he came over from Missoula Big Sky. Yeah, but you look at West Salonen and. Cade McWilliams, Brandon Colonado, who's a great two-sport star. He's an All-State football player as well for the Knights. 
and Raleigh Wooster and Aiden Gillum and Abe Johnson. They just have a ton of dudes who played a ton of hoops together. Yeah. And they've also been through it together. I mean, losing on a buzzer beater in the state championship game when you're juniors, I mean, what what better motivation is there to come back as seniors and, and make a run and run the table in the state? And so when you're talking about two D1 guys, that gives you an advantage over everybody in Montana already. But then the fact that they have a whole bunch of other guys who have played with those guys, the supporting cast is outstanding. Guys that have played multiple sports together for multiple years. I mean, this is kind of the class that helped spearhead the return of football at Hellgate. Right. So, I mean, these guys have a lot to prove, and they've already proven so much. But what a feather in the cap. I mean, for all that they have done, multiple state tournaments and hoops, going from dozens of losses in a row to then winning games at Hellgate in football. Yep. What a feather in the cap it would be for these guys to go out with a with a state championship, and we're only six games in, but they're on they're well on their way. They look like a juggernaut in the class AA level. Uh, Kalispell Flathead sixty, Missoula Big Sky forty six. Uh, Gabe Adams from Flathead at twenty three. Coulter Jan- Janikar, who I have this right, had two points for Big Sky. The question accompanying this stat: How many points did you score, Coulter, for the Big Sky Screaming Eagles back in the day? Are you filling it up? That's a hilarious question because I don't know if this is sad, impressive, both. I know exactly how many points oh, that I scored. I, I, it is not sad. It's not it, because tell the people what's the answer. I, I scored 27 varsity points in my career. I, I played, <laughs> I, I suited up for probably close to 45 varsity games. I started in, I think, 17 games my senior year. I was not good at basketball. There's no question. I made I made the basketball team. I was playing varsity early because of one reason and one reason alone. Because Brandon Bostic, who went on to play tight end at Montana State, who was a borderline NFL prospect before he blew his knee. I hope Bostic's listening. He's 6'5", 250, and they needed somebody that could guard him in practice. So they're like, okay, well, you're going to be like the 11th guy on the varsity. You're going to sit the bench. And then my senior year, we were awful. We only won four games. And... Uh, I remember I scored seven points against Helena Capital in one of our only breakthrough the, high, the highlight of the new one is uh, uh, high school we basketball getting, career. We were getting killed, but we were losing by probably <laughs> we were losing by probably thirty to Sentinel my senior year, and I hit a three in the corner at the end because everybody was like, "Shoot it, shoot it!" And I just I was like, "Whatever, no one's guarding me, hit it, whatever." But no, I I, I scored fourteen of my twenty seven points at the free throw line. I was our technical free throw shooter. It's great. That's oh, my claim to fame. Oh I, I went fourteen of fourteen. From the free throw Is that line, real? My senior, my senior year of high school, 14 of 14. Wow. But that's all I got. Kendall Mann will 20, take 27, a lesson. 27 points in 20 games, so you could say I was about a 1.2 points per game score. But uh, <laughs> oh as God. former Big Sky high school coach Aaron Arledge <laughs> would tell you, I set the best screen in school history. So that's, uh, that's hey, pretty much all I was you good know, for. That's what's, that's what's important. I, I, I can't uh, talk glory day stories, though. I, I was a, a decent athlete in football. I, I was an all-state player in football, and I was, I was a good baseball player. I'm terrible at basketball. I was actually way better basketball in college than I was in high school. You know what? That is the tr- truth for me as well. Well, because well, you can't you can't get benched at the rec center. You just go and play. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not hard to be better than awful, though, and that's what I found myself in uh, later. Uh, Missoula Sentinel, by the way, 51-35 winners over uh, Kalispell Glacier. Uh, Sentinel three players in double figures uh, in that victory. On the girls' side of things, just quickly run through a couple of scores here. Helena Capital beat Missoula Hellgate. Good ball game. 51-45. Hellgate had been the number one team in the state, but they fall in a good game to uh, uh, Helena Capital. Kalispell Flathead, 33. Missoula Big Sky, 19. 
19. Got to get some more points on the board there. Yeah. And then uh, Missoula Sentinel, 61. Kalispell Glacier, 53. So there's a couple of girls score for you. There you go. Our prep extra segment brought to us by the Farmers State Bank, a fourth generation Montana bank. Local leadership for over 110 years with all the modern amenities you've come to expect. That's the Farmers State Bank. Boys and girls, fun Tuesday. It all goes downhill, man, when you got yourself a little bit of uh, national championship to talk about, as well as some uh, hoops. We'll get into more of it. And the release of Grizz Greats Coaching Tree Podcast. Tomorrow, you'll hear a little bit from Jim Brandenburg. How about that? We'll see you then. Enjoy your Tuesday evening. Good night. Whether you're traveling to Missoula for business, a family visit, or to watch the Grizz game, the Wingate wants to be your home away from home. Call the Wingate to find out how we can take care of your next trip to Missoula. From conference rooms to great complimentary breakfast to an indoor water park, we have what you need and what you want when traveling. The Wingate of Missoula is a proud supporter of Grizzly and Lady Grizz athletics, and we look forward to making you feel at home when you're not. Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia? When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org.